Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Squiggly Careers Podcast. I'm Helen, one of your hosts, and instead of being joined by Sarah today, I have two guests with me for this special episode all about ideas to inspire. I wanted to bring on to the podcast two people that inspire me, two people that I love talking to, who have lots of practical ideas and insights that I think can help all of us with our careers. And so Sarah has given me permission to kick her off and bring them on. So first of all, you're going to hear me talking to life coach Simon Alexander Ong, who has a new book coming out in April. So you can pre-order it, it's not ready yet, but we are diving into his book, Energize, which is all about the art and science of energy management and what Simon and I will talk about is how he got to a tipping point where he realized the importance of managing his energy and then what he learned through the journey that he's gone on and has since gone on to help other people with as well so there's lots of insight Simon is so wise I find him very calming to listen to he makes me really want to invest in myself to sort of be better for myself to help other people be better too and I hope that that's what you will get from listening to him and then after I've spoken to Simon you're going to hear my conversation with Ian Sanders and Ian is a friend that I met on Twitter many years ago I think over 10 years now when I read his book Mashup and sent him a tweet to say how much I liked it and then we sort of kept tweeting and then we met and now we support each other in our squiggly careers and his new book 365 ways to have a good day is full of stories and snippets and practical things that you can do and so you'll hear me and Ian talk about some of my favorite things that I read in the book some brilliant little ideas for action just to kind of spark you to inspire you to give you some things to go and do differently and I hope this is a really nice episode to end the year with to just give you that inspiration and a few different ideas for action for you to take into 2022. So we'll get started with my conversation with Simon. Simon, welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. Thank you for having me, Helen. So let's talk about the first part of the book because it's structured in quite a few different parts, which I really liked. I liked structure and I felt like I was working through it in a way that was increasing my energy all the time. And part one is about awaken. And the thing that really stuck with me from part one was when you talked about the difference between, you know, awakening your energy versus the idea of escapism and sometimes how dangerous it can be when we fall into escapism and, and you gave you know your own compelling story to, to start mm. the book off about where where you realized maybe that was what you were doing I wonder if you could sort of share that start point that story with mm. us and then why it's so important to focus on how you 
develop your energy rather than fall into this escapism mode? Sure. So I grew up, Helen, in an environment in which I felt that the definition of success was my job title. Be a banker, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an accountant. I chose the banking route after I graduated in the middle of 2007 from the London School of Economics. But unfortunately, my timing was a little off. It was a year before the global financial crisis, and the company I decided to work with was Lehman Brothers. And so I had entered this industry with the desire to earn good money, which is what attracted me to it. But what I didn't realize was the toll that it would take on my health. And all those stereotypes that we see in the films and we hear from friends who are in that industry, long hours, hard partying, it was very much present in my early stages in the journey of being successful in that career. There was a moment in which I was invited to a party and I remember saying to my now wife that I'm gonna take the last train back. Wait up for me, I'll take the last train home. And that was before I descended those stairs into an underground nightclub. The reception on my phone went, I put in my jacket, my bag into the cloakroom and entered a den of free-flowing alcohol and many people that I knew parting the night away. And before I realized it, I was trying to hail down a taxi in the middle of the morning, totally forgetting that I was meant to take that last tube home. And that experience was pivotal for me because I realized then that I was trying to escape a reality that wasn't me. I was trying to escape a career that was more for others than for myself. And what I realized at that moment, and I have done many times since then, is escaping is merely a defense mechanism. It's us trying to avoid facing the reality that we're in and facing the truth of something. You know, Brendan Burchard shared recently that avoidance is the best short-term solution to escaping conflict, and the best long-term solution to ensuring suffering. And I realized as long as I was escaping, my energy would always be suppressed because the weight of what I had to face but I didn't want to face would always be on my mind. And I think it was a moment I decided to do something about it. That's when I took back control. I realized that as long as I was escaping, I was continually carrying that weight of thought, but also being paralyzed by overthinking about things that may or may not happen. But the moment I started to take back control and to bring more energy back into my life, that is when I felt empowered to take action. So while escaping can be great in the short term, it is not a viable long-term solution. Your example there, you know, late nights and drinking as part of that story as well, The escapism, I guess, could be somebody who puts off doing something and just spends hours scrolling on social media or, you know, watches... Well, there's anything wrong with watching Netflix, but if you're (laughs) using it as a source of escapism, you might not be confronting the thing that could help you to have more energy. Do you think everyone has to go through, like, a pivotal experience like you had, or do you think we can just get more attuned to whether we are investing in our energy or falling towards escapism on more more on a day-to-day basis sure i think if we look at society more often than not there tends to be some sort of pain or setback 
or personal tragedy that has happened in order for us to start thinking differently. But I think for us to be aware of the need to make those changes earlier, it requires us to be aware of ourselves because we can't change what we're not aware of. And so what I started to understand is the importance of listening to our body. There is so much wisdom in it. You know, our body will often whisper to us that we need to get more sleep. We need to take more rest. We need to move more. We need to eat better. And it will keep whispering to us until it eventually has to shout when we are lying in the bed of a hospital. And that is why so often we wait until those moments before we take action. Ironically, we do all the things that we should have done when we're well, when we're unwell. And so I think it's so important if we want to avoid getting to that point or those points to start tuning in to our innate wisdom, to start tuning in to what our body is telling us. And so the book is full of wisdom and I was very lucky because I've got a PDF copy. I've got an early <laughs> copy. And if I had the print copy, which I will do as soon as it is out, I will get the print copy. I would have turned over this page and I would have highlighted it and stuck a post-it note in. And it was the page that said, yeah, I would love to know your thinking behind it. But it was the page that said, you are both the sculpture and the sculptor. Um, mm. And I've got a brace in, so my, <laughs> I might not have said that very clearly for everyone. So can you explain to us what you mean by you are both the sculpture and the sculptor? Sure. So what I mean by the statement that you are both the sculpture and the sculptor is that we don't realise that we, in the fact that we are alive, we have the power to craft our life in any shape we want to. Because all we're living in is the feeling of our thinking, moment to moment to moment. But knowing that fact gives us a superpower. And that is that at any moment, you and I can choose one thought over another. That's what makes us unique as humans. We can choose a different thought. And by doing so, we open up an ocean of new behaviors, new choices, new actions, and those are our tools as a sculptor to remake ourselves, to change our identity, to change what is possible. And that what the world sees is the sculpture. The world doesn't see what's behind the sculpture, i.e. your mind, your world. Only you can see that. And that is why you are both the sculptor and the sculpture. What you bring to your mind, what you give energy to, you bring into your reality. And that is why... When we can harness this understanding, we are able to then bend our reality in any shape that we want to suit what is most important for us. So it's sort of like you are the being and you are the belief and mm. those two things will feed each other. So if that's the case, where do we start with making sure the beliefs that we have are helping us and not holding us back? Sure. Well, first of all, I think is to realize that nearly every belief we hold is made up. It is either a belief that is held by our parents, a belief that has been shared with us by our colleagues or managers, or a belief that has been ingrained in us from society. And that teaches us that we can change our beliefs at any moment. Now, this is where affirmations can come into play. Now, affirmations isn't a way of lying to yourself. It's a way of changing your perspective. One of the affirmations that I started to embrace on this journey from being an employee to an entrepreneur 
was life is always working for me, not against me. Now, this taps into, and I'm not sure you've come across this word, Helen, pronoia. It taps into this word called pronoia, which is the opposite of paranoia. Paranoia being the belief that the world is out to get you, that you are a victim and people are trying to wrong you. Pronoia being the fact that the universe is conspiring in your favor, that life is working for you and not against you. Now, when I started to harness that belief and choose that belief as one that I wanted to build my life around, it took me on a journey from ego to humility. So when events happened that were not in my favor, instead of saying, why me? My humility mind started saying, what's the lesson here? What can I learn that will help me do it differently next time? What's the opportunity in this? When I came across someone that did something hurtful to me, again, I would look for the lesson and the opportunity. Because when working from the mindset and the belief that life is always working for me, it meant that these events were to happen on the journey to where I want to be and what I want to achieve. Simon, I bet your coaching clients just come away feeling like they have had wisdom unlocked in themselves. <laughs> that is such that is such a good point. It, that just looking at all the situations that you are in and what can it teach you, how can you learn from it rather than the wise the rather than the victim of the, the situation mm. that you might find yourself in. And a bit of a practical question for your listeners, Helen. You know, whenever we do face it, a great prompt to help us see things from a new angle is simply asking ourselves, what else could this mean? So when you face a setback, when you don't get what you want, ask yourself, what else could this mean? Because what you will realize is that we don't live in one reality that is the same for all of us. We live in very customized realities. How you interpret an event will be very different to how I interpret an event and different to how your friend or your colleague interprets an event. But that means that there is always another way to view it. And when you view it in a way that is more empowering, you unleash a spectrum of actions that you were previously blind to. In the book, you talk about protecting your energy. So there's sort of like how you awaken it and, and you rewire it. And then there's like, you've kind of got this energy and now we need to protect it. And you talk about electrifying your environment. There are loads of practical tips that you share in order to do that. And I think two that really stuck out for me were about canceling clutter probably because I'm looking around my desk right now and I'm seeing quite a bit of clutter and I'm like, okay, I'm going to take some of Simon's wise words to cancel my clutter. And then you talk about using music as well to kind of mm. to tune in and how that can support you. Could you share a little bit more with us about those for people? Sure. Well, I, I grew up in a family in which my father would always get us every weekend to clean the house, to tidy up and to be organized. Now, I didn't like it at the time. Uh, as you can imagine, as a, as a young boy growing up, I just wanted to go out and play with my friends and play in the parks. But every weekend, my brother and I had to help clean the house. Now, I didn't know at the time why we were doing this and the benefits that this would bring until, as an older Simon, I had the opportunity to visit Japan. And during my first trip to Japan, I went south to a city called Kyoto. In Kyoto, I had this feeling of Zen. I was walking through the city and I just felt at peace. And I remember writing in my journal, why, why was I feeling at peace in this city? What was it about it that made me feel like this? And I noticed that every restaurant, coffee house, temple and place I went to 
was so organized, so tidy, and people were so mindful that you felt like you were in a walking meditation when walking around this city. And so I came back and I realized that when we have clutter-free environments, it means that our mind is also calmer to think and to focus on what is most important. But when we have clutter in our environment, it actually increases the clutter in our mind because we're thinking about all those tasks, the bill that we need to pay, the trash that we need to throw out, the room that we need to organize, the washing that needs to be done. But when you walk into a room that is clean, that is organized, that is tidy, you just feel mindful automatically. Helen, when I wrote the book, I had the opportunity to interview Fumio Sasaki, a famous minimalist in Japan. And he said that when he eliminated nearly all of his possessions, when he sat at home, he was overcome by this sense of gratitude for all that he already had, things that he forgot when he started to accumulate all of these material possessions. So I'm slightly daunted by this one because I have quite a few things, Simon. I have a lot of books and bags and shoes and two children who are infuriatingly messy. Um, and so I'm wondering whether I could have a decluttered room. I mean, I will aspire to having a minimalist space, maybe, though I do quite like a, a mixture of things. But I'm wondering, you know, I think about Nancy Klein, who is... Um, Someone's done a lot of work around coaching and she talks about time to think. And I'm wondering whether it's about having a space to think. You, you know, you're an advocate in the book of journaling and meditation. And maybe for anybody who's listening that thinks, oh, I don't think I, I'm my home is a minimalist home. Or they feel like they live with other people, children, flatmates, friends, whoever, mm. that also are not supportive of a minimalist uh, <laughs> place to live. But maybe having a space to think that has that sense of clutter-free um, could mm. be a way that people could get there. Definitely. And I think there is always different steps to get there. And as you say, even if the first step is just having a room in your house, that is your dedicated mindful room, in which when you walk in, it's completely tidy. Maybe there's a station for calming music when you're there. Some people would call that their reading room, their meditation room, their disconnection room, whatever you want to call it. Maybe that is a good first step. And if you are in a family or you're living with other people, it obviously becomes more difficult to have that cluster-free environment. And so it's not about being perfect. It's simply about, well, how can I make being more tidy a fun activity for all of us to do? So when we do it, we feel the benefits together. It's kind of like if you're a parent, getting your children involved in cooking. Because when they're involved in cooking, what happens is they're more curious to want to eat more of what is on the plate when they sit down for dinner. But if they've not had any hand in the input, they question what's on their plate. So I'm um, just coming to the end now of the conversation. I sort of want to go back to where we started, which was, you know, the story of Simon saying he was going to be back at a certain time and then getting lost in a, a hole of escapism. And, you know, in that story in the book, you talk about, you know, feeling overworked and sort of unhappy with how it was all going and, and, and escaping in the way that you were. I know we've talked about a lot of different things that you have done since then and lots of ways in which you've helped other people with their energy. But what do you think has made the single biggest difference to the Simon that you are now, the energy that you have now versus the Simon way, way back when? Sure. I would say two things come straight to my mind, Helen, and that is one, listening to my body more, giving it more respect. And secondly, listening to my heart. 
listen to my heart. Now, with the first one, listen to my body, we all know the moments of the day when we are less energized or more energized, when we need to slow down, when we need to sleep, when we need to just get outside for some air. But how often do we actually listen to it? How often do we actually listen to our body? More often, we tend to sabotage it by pushing beyond our limits. Now, while that is fine once in a while, so if you have a deadline or a project to hit, those may be the circumstances you may need to push a bit harder in those times. When it becomes the norm, that is when your health becomes a risk. And so listening to my body during the time of my own burnout gave me that wake-up call to start making my health a full-time priority and not a side hustle. And the second one about listening to my heart, it taps into that saying that goes, the longest journey that we make are the inches from our heads to our hearts. It is never an easy journey, but it is the most fulfilling and exciting we will ever embark on. And the reason I say that second one is another one that really energized me is because it taps into our spiritual energy. We talk about physical burnout, we talk about mental health breakdowns, but there is also the idea of a spiritual burnout. When we are going against the talents, the skills and the gifts that we were born with to please someone other than ourselves. And so as I started to make that journey towards my heart to listen to it more, I had to trust it, which is very difficult because you don't know if it's going to teach you the right things. But what I've learned is that while our heart may not always take us to where we want to be, it will always take us to where we need to be. And that is what has happened so far. And whenever I seek that counsel, it is with my heart. Because when we cultivate that relationship and deepen it, it can become your spiritual guide in life. Thank you so much for sharing. I feel calmer. I feel I've got a lot going on at the moment, Simon. And then I feel instantly calmer. And uh, yes, I'm with decluttering and inspiring my children and doing a bit of sort of self-listening, taking self-awareness that step further. So thank you very, very much for sharing your wisdom. And we'll make sure that everybody's got all the links to pre-order the book. But thank you very much for your time with us. My pleasure, Helen. Thank you so much for having me again. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Really hope that you enjoyed listening to Simon. Hope that you came away as calm as I felt following that discussion. I want to switch tracks a little bit now and go from Simon to Ian and talk about these 365 ways to have a good day. We're not going to go through all 365, everybody, but we are going to deep dive into three of them that really stood out for me and that I thought might be helpful for you to hear a bit more about. So here's my conversation with Ian. Ian Sanders, welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. Hey, Helen. Great to be here. I'm excited. We've, we've found the moment to talk, having been friends for a very long time, and we've got ideas to inspire people with today. Well, that's good to be here for that slot. And yeah, what a lovely story. I know you shared it fairly recently on social media of how we met through one of my previous books. So, so lovely to be here to talk about my new one. I also felt that it was a very Ian thing to do, because one of the things that I love about you and one of the the things that I get inspired when I follow you is the way that you use your memories to create different insights. I don't know where you keep all of the pictures and when you keep all the documents in your home, but it always makes me, it makes me think, oh, I should catalogue my career in the same way that Ian does so that I have something to look back on too. I love it how you do that. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes I kind of think, is it self-indulgent? And like a lot of us, we had an opportunity, didn't we, in 2020 in a lockdown to kind of go through our stuff. And I did that. And I thought on the one hand, perhaps it was self-indulgent. But on the other hand, I think it does help us kind of navigate our careers and work lives by looking back. And I know that we've got kind of digital artifacts. You could go back and look at when we first connected on Twitter or whatever. But to go through boxes of old photos from my career and yeah, I love all that stuff. And as a storyteller, you know, I'm always interested in um, the trail we leave and connecting the dots. So yeah, I'm glad that I haven't chucked too much away. So we might come back to what you've not chucked away and how you've written this book. So the book is 365 Ways to Have a Good Day. And I'm intrigued by why you wrote that book because you've written other books other books which I've read and think are very good so why why this book and why now well there's two parts to that I think the book about why I wrote this book goes back to something that happened in my work life in September 2019 when I just finished giving a presentation at a company away day so quite a common thing for people like you and me to do it was actually in Germany it was in the foothills of the Bavarian Alps and I had an hour and a half to kill before the taxi would come to take me to the airport. And on the one hand, I thought I really should catch up on my emails. You know what it's like when you're traveling for work and emails build up. But I also knew that somewhere down the hill, through the mist, was a lake. And I kind of felt I had this choice that suddenly felt so symbolic and full of meaning, which was jump on the Wi-Fi or go and jump in a lake. And I did the latter. I went down the hill, found this lake, was given a key and a map to the hotel's Baderplatz, the kind of bathing place. And it was so amazing in the blue waters of the lake. There were no other human beings around. It was just me. There was mountains, blue sky. And perhaps hearing me talk about it now, you know, obviously it made quite an impact on me. And you know what it reminded me, Helen, that we all have a choice about how we spend our time, what we need to do in order to have a good day. I know we're not always going to have a lake to jump into on a Tuesday morning, but I think what it's about is tuning into what is sacred to us. It might be, you know, walking the dog, doing yoga, having our coffee or 
tea out of our favourite mug. All those little tight things that actually make a difference to us. So I suppose it would rewind to then about the importance of making the right choices in order that we can have a good day. We're all different, aren't we? What you need to have a good day is different from me. But I guess the second part of your question, kind of why now? Yes, it did come out of the events of the last year or so. Because in first lockdown of 2020, I unearthed all these old notepads. You know, I'm a great journal keeper and note writer. And what was rather lovely about that was at a time when we couldn't travel, when I couldn't go and do the things that I normally need for my own creative inspiration, I found all these notepads, which I had written in when I was on journeys going to Amsterdam to do this or going around the UK to give some talks. So I suddenly had all these kind of nuggets of gold, if you like, and I thought, wow. So what I started doing, it was quite a big job. I started writing up the really good bits from 27 notepads going back 14 years. I started making a massive document of it. And that was the raw materials for the book. So I guess, yeah, in lockdown, some people learned how to bake sourdough. I wrote a book, unearthed the material for a book. So this cataloguing of your career, before we get into the 365 ideas to inspire that are in your book, I actually am really interested. I think there's a 366th idea, which is this cataloguing of your career, which I think is is an interesting thing that people might want to do for themselves that are listening to this now. So those notebooks, how often do you write in them and and what are you writing in them? So... I'm using these little notepads and I am using it two ways round. So I turn it upside down. So I've kind of got two fronts to it, if that makes sense. And in the first way round, I'm writing down, I'm just looking at one in front of me right now. I'm writing down some notes I made when I was in a coaching call, some notes I made watching a webinar by a poet called David White, lists of things, little quote I wrote down from a graphic artist that really struck me. And on the other side of the book, I write down my weekly list that I call Good Times, which I've been keeping since 2013. And I mean, it's not that unique to me. People talk about a gratitude journal, don't they? I know you've talked about some of these practices before yourself. And it's really this list where I keep a list of all the good times. Start it on a Monday morning, end it on a Sunday night. Family, work, friends, everything all into one list. So when I'm going through old notepads... I find these reflections and observations and stories, but I also kind of find the data of, you know, what I was doing in um, that week in 2014 and, you know, why it was good. And I suppose it's giving me the data so that I know what I need to have a good day. And I think it's very easy for any of your listeners to start that habit of writing a list, a good times list, because it's about noticing. It's about scanning the day for the positivity you know, I don't write down the bad stuff. We all have bad days or bad experiences at times, you know, but it's writing down the good things and tuning into that. And I guess that keeping a track of our careers, I mean, you know, it's really interesting, isn't it? You know, we're on the Squiggly Career podcast. And, you know, as you know, my background is very squiggly. And sometimes in a career that's been so squiggly where it doesn't always fit into those neat LinkedIn categories, I'm really glad that I've kept little journals of some of those projects, some of those highlights because, you know, they're not things that naturally would land on a maybe a LinkedIn linear path. So um, really glad I've kept it up. Really glad I've kept it up. Because there's so many ideas in the book, 
how do you envisage people reading it? I know everyone's kind of, everyone reads in a different way, but if you were sort of designing the book for someone to read in the way that is in your mind, how do you think they would approach it? Good question. I think, you know, there are 365 really short chapters. You know, I've got the book here and there's like two a page. So they're really short. And I think it's about dipping in and out. It's 365, but I I don't think it's really a book to be read like, oh, it's one a day. I mean, that's kind of like the marketing promise. But let me be really honest, you know, they're to be dipping in and dipping out. And some of them are things that everyone can apply or take a lesson from. Know that anything is possible. Open the empathy valve. Know how to deal with curveballs. Make the most of your lunch hour. But some of them are just like really, really weird and wonderful. The story of someone I met in New York who opened a pop-up advice booth in Union Square, Manhattan to give advice to strangers. You know, I'm not suggesting people that read this book are going to go and set up a pop-up advice booth. However, I do hope that some of those stories might inspire them about how can they create their version of that, talking to a stranger in a coffee shop, reaching out to someone in their network and saying, let's have a Zoom. I don't know, you know, so I think we're all different. And some of these are really going to resonate with some people and other than might be, oh, that's a bit weird, you know. For me, when I was reading it, it made me smile. Like the, the stories, the stories are very human. I mean, all your stories are very human, it's lovely. And I smile and some of it, you know, it's funny, some of it's very warming. I was inspired by what some people had done and how they'd acted. And then there are some things that are actually much more actionable. It's like, oh, this is something that I can go and do. And I think it's a lovely blend of that. And I have picked three things I've not told you about. Having read it, I was like, oh, these are three things that I would, I'd love to share with the Squiggly Careers community because I think it's some things that they would find really interesting and that they could go away and do. So I'm putting Ian on the spot here, everybody, to see if he can remember of the 365 ideas these three that I have picked out so the first one is number 178 and it's reach out to your heroes and it's the story about the note that you sent to Paul Smith Sir Paul Smith and what happened after that so I wondered if you could talk to us about that idea about reaching out to your heroes yeah thank you for picking that one I love that I think sometimes in life we've got people who really um, are really important role models we really admire and they might be really high profile and we think, well, there's no point reaching out to them because, I mean, they're so busy, right? And Paul Smith is an interesting one. You know, the entrepreneur, fashion designer, started his career in Nottingham, you know, 50 years ago. I've always been a fan of him and I've got some of his books. There's a, he wrote a great book on inspiration, bearing in mind the subject of this uh, podcast. And I knew that famously, Helen, he gets sent so much stuff. However, you might recall, because you and I go way back, I did a little booklet around curiosity about six or seven years ago. I sent him a copy to his uh, office address. I got an email from his assistant saying, Paul really liked getting your book. He wonders whether you'd like to come and be a guest at a talk Paul's giving at the Design Museum in London. So I was like, wow, yeah, great. So it was a lovely moment to go along to this talk at the Design Museum, hear Paul talk about his career. Afterwards, you could you know, line up to meet Paul. And I lined up to meet him. And I said, Paul, you know, lovely to meet you. Look, you won't remember me, but I sent you a book. I know you get so much, so much stuff, you know. And he said, oh, the little booklet on curiosity with the coloured photographs. I was like, yeah. And he said, yeah, I loved it. That's why I invited you. And I thought, what a class act. And he celebrated 50 years in the business in 2021, or might have been 2020. And Reading tributes from people, everyone said the same thing. You know, he's a really lovely bloke. And that was borne out by that story. And I think the point of that is 
long shots are always worth taking, aren't they? I mean, you know, I might have got nothing back, but I, I ended up meeting him and he remembered the connection I'd made with him. And I just think, you know, sometimes we think there's no point doing these things. And if we take a chance, it can really pay off, right? <laughs> so the next one for you is number 198. It is to record a laffy or a laffy, a laffy. Tell us about the psychology behind recording 60 seconds of laughter on your phone. Yes, well, I did some, when I was researching um, some ideas for the book, Helen, because I didn't want it to be all about me. I wanted to put some real value in there from things that other people had tried, other experts. So Freda Gonot Shapinsky is a health researcher that developed this idea called a laffy or a laffy. And the idea is that you record 60 seconds of laughter on your phone, either as an audio track or as a piece of video. You play it back three times a day. And, you know, she did a body of research with a field of people from a 25-year-old to a 93. And, you know, over a long period of time, I think it was a long period of time, the well, how people track their well-being from that. And I think we all know, don't we, that laughter gives us a good day. You know, you do a lot of public speaking and I do too. And I think those little moments where you get a laugh, you know, kind of lifts you and you makes you feel good. I think what's really interesting about Freda's invention of the laffy is that if you read this on paper without knowing about the impact of it, you might think, well, is that work? It feels a bit contrived. But that's the whole point. Contriving opportunities of recording it in a moment of genuine joy, if you like, and then playing it back is just infectious. Yeah, I gave it a try. I must admit, I didn't keep it up for a long period of time. But it was just, yeah, it was like, you know, it really lifts you. So my final one, uh, not that these were the only three I liked, I loved loads of them, but this one I, I chose, it's number 210 and it's Follow the Good Coffee. And I've chosen this one for two reasons. One for Sarah, who I think already does this one. This is a very Sarah way to have a good day. It will always feature coffee. It will always feature good coffee. She gets very annoyed with me when I settle with bad coffee. But also because your following the good coffee involves you looking for a long black, which is what I choose when I'm looking for coffee. Can you tell us a little bit more about why following the good coffee is an idea that can inspire people? Yeah, I mean, I think it's about a subject dear to your heart, which is curiosity. I'll give you an example. So I had a gig a couple of years ago where I was running workshops um, around the UK, traveling around. So I'd stay overnight in a city and then I'd do the workshop in the afternoon or the morning. And so I'd arrive in a city like Liverpool, hadn't been to for a while, and I'd go and seek out some coffee. So rather than just going to like the Starbucks in the hotel lobby or in the conference center where I was doing the workshop, I would, you know, be super curious and go and explore. And in Liverpool, you know, I went down, I think it's Hope Street near a concert hall or something and found this amazing coffee shop called 92 Degrees. When I found it, it just felt like, you know, I was just so energised. I mean, I wrote some notes in my journal at the time about the music that was playing, some people with dogs in there, and my pen had like a life of its own. All these ideas flowed because I was so much in a good place mentally and physically. And I think the following the good coffee is like a shortcut for going to interesting places and nothing against you know going to Starbucks but it was about being intentional actually being intentional is a big key part of this book I think it's being intentional about seeking places out I did a, a leadership program for um, IE business school in Madrid and then I had a late flight the next day so I had one of my favorite days I had the next day off you know I wasn't earning any money but I had the next day off before I got my flight home 
and I'd heard of this coffee shop called Federal Coffee. I decided I wouldn't Uber it, I would walk. I literally walked in like, well, a good hour each way. And I was rewarded with this lovely place. I could have spent the whole day there. Seeking out the good coffee is more than just about having the good drink. It's about following your curiosity with a reason. So you're not just going, oh, I'm just walking around looking. Like you have a destination. And I often see inevitably take the side streets in these towns and cities. I remember in Belfast in the rain, I went to find this wonderful place called Established Coffee. And if I wasn't had that in mind, it was a rainy Friday morning. I probably would have just worked in the hotel before I got my taxi to the airport to fly home. But it kind of gave me a reason to go and find the coffee. And once I got to that place in Belfast, I felt like a local, people were really friendly. You know, they didn't look at me and go, oh, you've just, you know, you're a stranger that's never been here before. I kind of just settled in, had chats with people. So I love that. And it all starts with following the coffee. I love it. I love it too. It also reminds me of when I was in Sicily and I wasn't following coffee. I was following ice cream because apparently there was this place in Sicily. I cannot remember the name now, but it was like the world's best ice cream. So I think we hired a car. <laughs> so we ran out of cars. Right, right, we're going on a mission to find the world's best ice cream. We drove well out of our way, but we saw some beautiful things because it's beautiful countryside and I think had some time to talk and reflect and on this little journey. And then we got to this slightly random little town in the middle of nowhere where the world's best ice cream was supposed to be and it was closed <laughs> but it was fine because we wandered around and I think we went to a church and we saw some streets we wouldn't have seen and you know looked at some things we wouldn't have looked at and and then we found another ice cream place which you know it wasn't the world's best one but it was perfectly adequate but I just think you know that that being intentional and creating a reason to go to a place and to talk to a person and to see something that you wouldn't ordinarily see, that is sort of what follow the good coffee means to me. It's sort of what, if you don't like coffee, find your version of coffee. It's just the intention and always having that as a focus for your curiosity in different places with different people. Absolutely. It could be follow the ice cream, find a really good bookshop, go to a museum. But there's something about those little coffee shops in the same way an ice cream shop or bookshop maybe, less so a museum, which is they're not in the city centre or in a tourist area necessarily. They are off the beaten track, seeking them out. And I'll be honest, sometimes I've got a recommendation from locals. I might have asked on Twitter, going to Madrid, where do you recommend? Or I may have seen something online. But sometimes it is just genuinely about walking along, going, should I go left or right? And then you've got that joy of discovery because, you know, you didn't even know, but you feel like you've found your home in this town or city away from home. So Ian, I loved reading it the first time. I loved rereading it for this podcast. It does everything that you have promised with 365 Ways to Have a Good Day. It, it makes me smile, it sparks my thinking and it gives me things I want to go and do differently. So thank you for writing it and sharing it and talking to us all about it on the podcast as well. Oh, thank you, Helen. It was lovely to be here. And thank you for putting me on the spot with your favourite chapters. Oh, I love Ian. He's such a great friend. I'm so glad that the, the wonders of social media brought us together. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we had together and you've taken lots away from this episode. If you have enjoyed this, do let us know. You can email us just at Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com or leave us a review. It's one of the ways that other people find out about the podcast and that's a hugely appreciated way that you can support us and all of our work on Squiggly Careers. Thanks so much, everyone. Speak to you soon. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 